This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 540, Comic Talk Spotlight on the Marvel Premier Classic Hardcover Program. This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 540. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and uh, today we're doing another Comic Talk episode. Um, this is something I don't think I've actually talked about on the show. I've done episodes where we've talked about omnibuses. Um, I've had uh, episodes where we talked about the Marvel Epic Collections. One thing I don't think I've ever actually uh, talked about on the show, uh, or at least not in any specific detail, uh, has actually been a now-defunct line of the... It was called the Marvel uh, Premier Classics. Um... And this was a, a run of hardcover collections that uh, started in 2006 and I believe ended uh, around, what, 2013 or so? Uh, it was originally announced to be ending in 2012 and then I think it still got another volume in 2013. I think there was 107 volumes in this collection. And I remember... So I, I know that a lot of people in the Marvel um, Marvel Masterworks forum they get the the nice collected edition versions. Uh, there's I guess a, a I guess a direct market variant of this Marvel Premier Classic hardcover, uh, which had a specific trade dress um, which kind of matched with every volume. I have one sad volume. I think before I realized that I was going to be buying more Marvel Premier Classics, or before I really knew anything about the line, uh, I have volume eight. If anyone out there has a non direct market uh, version of a Marvel Premier Classic Volume 8 Hulk the End um, with the more traditional um, uh, cover um, I will trade you my variant I don't care about money I don't even know which one's more valuable or not um, I just don't want it I because I look at my shelf and I don't have a lot of these Marvel Premier Classics I was I've, I wasn't I, I never really got into the line as a you know kind of a as a completionist or anything like that I, I bought the ones for the most part that had stories that I really wanted to enjoy um, and uh, but now I, I look at my shelf and I have this weird volume 8 just kind of sticking out and uh, anyways it has bothered me to this day but what was the Marvel Premier Classic hardcover line um, it was actually kind of a smart idea to have these uh, these nice hardcover collections for, generally speaking, uh, extremely well-known um, uh, storylines and putting them into like a nice, nice little hardcover, uh, usually with kind of a nice cover as well. And uh, it was a, a kind of a cool idea. Again, this predates the Marvel Epic Collection, so you weren't getting these kind of meteor uh, reprintings. Um, so this was the idea of kind of putting in more seminal storylines for various different Marvel characters um, up and down the line and being able to put them into this nice little hardcover collection, putting these material together. And for the most part, they're very much no-brainers. Like, I look at my shelf, and I... If, if anyone has a copy of Marvel Premier Classic Hardcover Volume 1, Spider-Man Craven's Last Time, I will buy that from you, um, as long as it's not too insane. It's one of the ones where I definitely, you know, kind of missed the boat on that, and I've regretted it ever since. I have the trade paperback of Craven's Last Hunt. I have, I used to have, I think, an old reprinting from the 90s, like I, or like 89, 90, or 91, something really, really old. Um, I used to have that, and actually, I think I sold that a few years ago when I bought um, the trade paperback collecting Craven's Last Hunt, finally. But it's always bothered me I don't have that beautiful hardcover version of it. Uh, I also have the reprinting in the Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collection, uh, appropriately called Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, there's different coloring between the two. I don't know enough about the original coloring to know which one's legitimate, like the original one. But anyways, it's always haunted me that um, I don't have this first Marvel Premier Classic hardcover. Um, so that, that was... 
I think, according to Wikipedia, which is obviously never wrong, um, the uh, that the that was August two thousand and six. So I wasn't really buying a lot of collected editions back then. I think in two thousand and six, I'm just trying to think. I bought more DC collections at that point because. I was buying so many Marvel singles and not as many in DC, and I didn't have the same type of... Like, I'd been buying comics full-time probably only maybe eight years by that point, um, where I'd you know progressively been buying more and more. So I found that I had a lot of Marvel stuff, and at that point, I didn't want to do the whole double-up thing. Nowadays, I just feel like I'm trying to replace my old singles with trade paperbacks. But at the time, that wasn't something I wanted to do, so I feel like when I was first kind of getting into the trade paperback game, I was buying a lot more of DC or Marvel books that I'd missed and not buying, rebuying stuff that I had enjoyed, but bought in the previous eight years. And so I probably, and I don't really know if I was keeping a tr- I wasn't on the Marvel Masterworks forum at the time. I was definitely on some comic forums, but nothing that was um, kind of collection edition minded um, with that kind of focus, which I, Nowadays, like I super love being part of that that community. Um, I'm not nearly as well versed in the mapping and all that stuff, but I just find it so fascinating uh, how people really get into it and really care a lot about how this material is collected and how much they love this old material and they want to have it collected on their bookshelves. I've always been able to come. That's resonated with me. Um, so I don't have that first volume which sticks in my craw just because it's such a, it's like one of my favorite Spider-Man stories. It's one of I'm actually surprised um, going through the list of kind of these first books that came out, the ones were, you know, I would have expected them to be no-brainers before other books. Um, as much as I love, you know, Craven's Last Hunt, I'm surprised it was the first one out the gate. Um, I would have thought that some other books might have made it out first. Uh, the second one, um, just from a selling standpoint, October 2006, um, it was Wolverine Origin, and that just feels like a much more of a, well, duh. Um, I, I feel like Yes, Craven's Last Hunt is going to sell, but it was also, you know, by the time it came out, this hardcover came out, it was almost a 20-year-old story. Uh, Origin had only been maybe what, five, four to five years older uh, at that point because it came out in 2001 and 2002, so it was a much fresher storyline and being able to have it in this nice hardcover. Back before, that used to be kind of the rage where nowadays you would not have a storyline like that and not have premier hardcovers all the time and oversize this and oversize that. Um, so the second Wolverine book, sorry, the second of these premier classics ended up being Wolverine Origin, which is interesting too, because the, um, you'd almost think that the original Wolverine miniseries by Frank Miller and Chris Claremont would have come out first. Um, it came out two months later, but it's an interesting decision as well. Um, I, I own both of those Wolverine collections, um, the fourth collection is the one that very much was like, I have to get this. Although, I have to say, and I don't know if I have it on my bookshelf anymore. I'm pretty sure I don't. I do not. Um, I had the Spider-Man Death of Gwen Stacy trade paperback. Oh, no, I do have it on my shelf still. I was going to sell it, and I realized I couldn't, because even though I bought the uh, Premier Classic hardcover, which does reprint um, Amazing Spider-Man 88 to 92, um, which is not in Death of the Stacys, obviously, because Death of the Stacys is both um, Captain Stacy and Gwen Stacy, although I think I did have the death of uh, George, uh, Captain Stacy, and I've sold that, or at least it's somewhere in a cell pile somewhere, because those issues were reprinted. But um, you then got Amazing Spider-Man 121 to 122, and that's it in the Death of Stacy's hardcover. And the one thing that's missing that's in this older trade, and by older I probably mean mid-2000s, 
um, is uh, a great storyline from Web, Web Spinner's Tales of Spider-Man number one uh, called The Kiss with our work by John Romita Sr., which is absolutely gorgeous. Um, it's a really beautiful, sad, wistful story. Um, when you read it, it actually reminds me a lot of Spider-Man Blue, uh, but in a much more condensed format. And that's always been interesting to me that so that's why I still have this trade. I can't sell it because um, I don't have the web spinners trade, which maybe I'll buy that at some point, but that's such a mixed bag. Um, but, uh, you know, Death of the Stacys, I'm just surprised they didn't throw in the, that add-on. I guess it's because of, it really is an add-on. It's something published, you know, what, 30 years after the fact, um, or maybe 23 years after the fact. I'm trying to remember. I think it was published in 96 originally. So it's 23 years after the fact as opposed to being, you know, when the book, when the story actually happened. Um, next one I'm missing is uh, the fifth one was Weapon X. Um, again, now nowadays I, I think at the time when that came out, I had it in trade paperback, and at some point over the years, that trade paperback I'm pretty sure of mine has gone missing. No, I I replaced it at some point. I had a an older version of the trade paperback that I got back in high school. I had to reprint it. Um, reprint. I got to replace it with a version which I think is the soft cover version of basically reprinting what the Marvel Premier Classic would have looked like for the most part. Um, and so that, that's the first five, five volumes. It says a lot. The three Wolverines and two Spider-Mans. And what's interesting to me going through the Marvel Premier Classic list is um, what isn't isn't there and how at times they really try to strain to get you know material out there for certain characters and it kind of uh, accentuates to me how some characters just don't really have uh, great runs to really put in these types of hardcovers um, it's just interesting that the first Avengers one is not Under Siege in fact Under Siege wouldn't come for years and years afterwards uh, if I'm remembering this correctly um, I have these on my shelf in, in order of publication order so yeah it took a while for Under Siege to come out but instead you got the uh, the Defenders War first which I know is very important to those characters especially at the time um, but I think the modern audiences that doesn't really have the same it won't play the same way uh, whereas I think Under Siege has been um, referenced to in more places and has a little bit more of a, of a cachet with more of a modern context Although, I say modern, but I'm thinking more like late 90s, early 2000s, because at this point, it's so old itself. Um, but Avengers Defenders War, again, feels like an interesting relic of a different time. Um, and then you had the the first kind of true X-Men title was the seventh one, which came out in November 2007. And this is where around the point where once you hit 2008, they start releasing one like every month or two, and then in some months there's multiples, but they really start to increase the uh, the schedule. And uh, Volume 7 is the first X-Men appearance, which is God Loves Man Kills, uh, which I actually don't own as well. I mean, I don't have actually a lot of these. There's 107, I said, and I have maybe 20. Um, so I actually don't own a lot of these. Um, I do own Hulk the End, which I think might have been one of the first ones I ever bought, and I didn't know any better about which are maybe ordered it online or something. I don't know how I got this direct market variant because I'm not a huge fan of the direct market variants. I know a lot of people love it and um, they prefer it and it has it definitely has a different feel to it. It definitely feels like it's part of something bigger. If you're going to buy multiples like you know multiple volumes in the set it makes sense but at the same time if you end up with like just a few smattering of volumes and they, they look the same great but now you have all these weird numbers um, it doesn't quite work the same. Um, it does have a, um, a cover inlay. Um, it it kind of reminds me a lot of the Masterworks, to be honest, in terms of its overall visual design, um, as to, opposed to the regular uh, releases, which 
um, usually had kind of cool colored versions. Um, it, it, again, rem reminiscent of some of the um, Marvel Masterworks volumes where they tried to kind of do something different in the more modern reprintings. Um, oh, man. So what do I have after Hulk? They had Iron Man Demon in a Bottle, so that makes sense. First Iron Man appearance on the list is one of the most seminal stories. I mean, I don't think you could... You can uh, argue with that as its uh, decision to, to add that as a, as a Marvel premiere classic. Um, Hulk the End is interesting because I would argue that in some ways Hulk the End doesn't really need to be there. Um, at least not called Hulk the End. Because um, so, again, Hulk, his first appearance on this list of the, all these premiere classic hardcovers, um, Hulk the End is really not the reason why it's on the list, I feel. I feel like it shouldn't be called Hulk Future Imperfect because that's why it's here. Like, Hulk Future Imperfect has, that has a resonance to it. People remember it. I love Hulk the End, don't get me wrong. But I feel like the reason why this is collected is because of Future Imperfect. Again, it's not given that name. And it just seems bizarre that that would be true. Uh, and you, so after Demon in the Bottle, you got Doom Quest, so back-to-back -back Iron Man releases, both March 2008, which makes sense, because, of course, that was right before the Iron Man movie. Uh, then you had Punisher Circle of Blood. I don't know on that one, but, again, that's a, a very seminal Punisher story. But, again, it seems so early that there's all these other things that I would have thought that would have been in, in hardcover format first. Uh, for example, well, not necessarily the next one, X-Men, Kitty Pride, and Wolverine. Again, one of those ones where I'm surprised it got out that early. Uh, then you have volume 13 was uh, Marvels, um, which is interesting, too, that if you look at the spines of the non-direct market ones, you'll have at the upper corner, you'll have, like, the character and then, like, a color, um, and it's kind of a nice inlay, and it kind of says, like, Wolverine, Spider-Man, Iron Man, um, Daredevil, Wolverine, X-Men, etc., etc. And then for sure, only a couple, and I'm trying to think how many of this actually happened. I think it might only be the one, um, because it's Marvels, and it's about everything. It just says Marvels, and it doesn't actually have the name of the book on the rest of the spine, whereas all the others would have the character's name, and then have a little square showing the character's uh, face, and then you'd have the title. But uh, Marvels, it's just Marvels in the top, and you don't get that rest in the spine. And Marvels is one of my favorite miniseries of all time. I still think it's breathtaking, and I still love the sequel as well. They're very different beasts, but also complement each other beautifully. And so uh, the minute that came out in premiere classic hardcover in June 2008, I knew it needed to have that. And then we get into some fun kind of, you know, what made them decide that this needed to be in a hardcover format before other things. I'm not saying that this stuff doesn't deserve to be in hardcover. It's maybe some of it. But I'm, I'm always more curious of what they decided and how early they released that as part of the program. Because, again, we're not even in the first 20 releases, and there's a lot of stuff in the later releases that you'd be like, well, why didn't that already get published? What was that decision? How did that be made? I'd have to talk to Beasley, Mark Beasley, to be able to figure out you know, some of those decisions. But it's interesting to me, because then you have X-Men, long shot. What? Um, and you got Hulk, Hart, Heart of the Atom, which is a smattering of stories from what one Hulk 140, 148, 156, 202 to 203, 205 to 207, 246 to 248, and what if 23? You couldn't be more disparate in terms of the issues you threw into that. And I'm not that much of a Hulk fan, so I can I am remiss in that I can't actually explain why those particular issues were even put together. I'm sure there's a reason. There's always a reason for why they collate certain issues. I just don't happen understand or know what that is um they got x-men sorry not x-men x-men magic magic storm and iliana which is again is interesting that that got uh, published first then you had avengers first to last 
which is the last Avengers story, and as Avengers Classic 1 to 12, which I actually really liked Avengers Classic. I never picked up that particular volume, though, but I was always kind of intrigued by it. Uh, then you had Daredevil, The Man Without Fear, which, again, when these were coming out, I already had it in trade, didn't want to double up and get it again in hardcover, and now I kind of regret it, that it would have looked nice on my shelf. Uh, although, as I look at my shelf, I don't even see my Man Without Fear, so I feel like Oh, there it is. I do have, I do have Daredevil Man Without Fear somewhere. Um, so it's one of those decisions where I wasn't at the stage where I was kind of replacing volumes with more, you know, better looking volumes. Whereas I think these days I would be more likely to make that kind of decision. Uh, after that, you have a book that I actually don't think I bought for years, and I don't know what took me so long or why I didn't do it. It's probably because I already had it in trade and didn't understand that these premier classic hardcovers sometimes have bonus material, sometimes with extras, and this particular one, I admit, like, I don't know what kept me so long because I love this storyline so much but it's not, none other than Daredevil Born Again um, which again I have it in trade on my on my shelf uh, eventually I'll have it in the epic collections of Daredevil and I'm also going to have it in the hardcover and I also have it uh, oh no I was going to say that I had it in the Daredevil Omnibus Companion but I actually did not buy that because I realized I had most of the material in other formats and didn't need it again it's not always making the decision to have the more beautiful format because cost does have to come into fit into play at some point. It's those weird decisions when you look at collected editions and the way that some of this material has been collected so many times and you really have to make kind of those hard decisions on which volumes you end up getting and what you end up repurchasing. And it's the type of thing that makes people who don't care about this stuff shake their heads and go, what are you doing? And even sometimes I wonder that about myself. Uh, then we had Wolverine Not Dead Yet. Again, uh, it's interesting that that's the Wolverine story that got a you know a premier hardcover before others. I did buy it. I like that story by Elvis and you, but I do recognize that there's a lot of books that probably should have gotten the format treatment before that, such as the next volume, volume 21, X-Men Proteus. Like, of course. Like, if you have to pick certain storylines that are easy to digest and put into a hardcover format, that is one that makes sense. And it's interesting, too. It collects X-Men 125 to 128, as well as classic X-Men 32 to 33 and 36. Um, so the story's from, what, both 1979 and also 1989. And we have an interesting collection of books. We have Avengers Hawkeye, which I did end up purchasing myself, because I love Hawkeye. And it has Hawkeye 1 to 4, Tales of Suspense 57, Marvel Super Action number 1, Avengers 189, and Marvel Team Up 95. And Wikipedia just quickly chose the publication dates for those particular issues, and it's, a, it's like a real grab bag. 1964, 1976, 1979, and 1980. 1983. That being said, it's a fun little, it's a fun little collection of Wolverine, uh, Wolverine, of uh, Hawkeye stories, all kind of bundled together. But again, did it need to be its own little, you know, cl- uh, premier classic hardcover? I'm not really sure if it did. Um, and uh, it's not the first time I'll think that about a Hawkeye book either. Um, then you had Cloak and Dagger, Child of Darkness, Child of Light, Cloak and Dagger 1 to 4 from 83 to 84. You had Guardians of the Galaxy, Earth Shall Overcome. And I'm just trying to look and see. I'm trying to remember if I ended up buying both of the uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. I think I ended up with one of the classic uh, Guardians books. Uh, Earth Shall Overcome is the one that I ended up with, um, which again is collecting stuff from 1969 as well as 1974 to 75. I don't really know if this needed to be done, but it happened. Then you had X-Men Phoenix Rising, which um, I'd owned in an old trade, but it was nice to kind of get a a hardcover to replace it, um, which collected uh, X-Factor 1, Fantastic Four 286, and Avengers 263, as well as Classic X-Men 8 and 43. And I'm pretty sure it was the Classic X-Men issues that weren't in the prior trade, but I could be wrong about that. I liked having that all together. 
Um, then you had uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, The Power of Starhawk. That's the one I'm missing. I thought I owned it for some reason, but it turns out I never did. And again, I'm surprised that Guardians, I guess because of the, around this time, Guardians was really exploding under DNA. Uh, it was in kind of its heyday. It was getting a, you know, a whole new, fresh look and we were still what five years away from the Guardians of the Galaxy movie so it's just interesting that they were kind of starting to put out this classic Guardians uh, material at that time in 2009 um, then you had Spider-Man Torment now that's that's an evergreen I mean it's not the greatest story and I don't think anyone will ever attest to that but it is a uh, very iconic imagery it's Todd McFarlane being able to do his own thing it's one of the top selling Spider-Man issues of all time so of course it was eventually going to get the, the treatment um I mean, if we're looking, there weren't that many Spider-Man books that had already gotten the treatment at this point. You had Death of the Stacys, Graven's Last Hunt, uh, and then you kind of have Torment. And then after Torment, we had Black Widow, Sting of the Widow, which was, again, a book I didn't buy, but the more I think about it, the more I kind of like to have the collation of issues here. The fact that you have the Amazing Adventures issues that she was in, 1 to 8. You have her appearance in Amazing Spider-Man and I guess, what, 70? You also have her first appearance in Tales of Suspense, and then also an issue of Daredevil. A little bit more, again, selectively kind of choosing issues, but um, similar to the Hawkeye, really. And I guess that made sense, too. This came out in August 2009, so this would have been leading up to, in 2010, her making her first appearance uh, in the Avengers film franchise, or MCU universe, uh, in Iron Man 2. So that kind of, the timing makes sense. Um Thor, you had Bald of the Brave. So again, you've had, what, no Thor releases at this point, and then you release Bald of the Brave, which is Bald of the Brave 1-4, and uh, Thor 360 362 by Simonson. Just a weird decision, because like it kind of underscores, are there no easy-to-digest Thor stories that you could put into a hardcover um, that would really be uh, worthy of it? Maybe not. Um, then you had Hercules Prince of Power, which had two Prince of Power miniseries from both 82 and 84. Which is, I never purchased it, but I do appreciate those issues, and I have read and enjoyed them in the past. Then you had Spider-Man Sinister Six uh, by Eric Larson. Um, now, nowadays, I mean, you have an epic collection of collecting this, but at the time, you didn't really have any way of getting this storyline, but people had fond memories of it. It was a fun, Eric Larson-driven storyline by him and David Michelinie, so it kind of it, that makes sense to me, and it also has the original Amazing Spider-Man annual where the Sinister Six first appeared. Uh, there's nothing maybe directly tying it in any kind of movie releases or anything like that, but I think that's why they kind of put that together as a Spider-Man release. Um, Volume 32 has always been intriguing to me. It was uh, Mephisto getting his own um, hardcover collection. Again, at this point, have we had, like, a Captain America volume? Like, no, we've had, like, one Thor volume, but it was Balder. And then we've had Hercules getting his own, and then Mephisto. And it's Mephisto versus the Fantastic Four, number one. Mephisto versus X-Factor, number two. Mephisto versus the X-Men, number three. And Mephisto versus the Avengers, number four, which is originally published in 87. Then you have a, another X-Men wound, but really it's a Wolverine one. It's Wolverine Gambit Victims, one to four. And this was, I thought, interesting that they put this out. Um, it's by the Loeb and Sale team, which is obviously seminal. They've created some amazing works together. It's all the color books at Marvel. They've uh, done, uh, obvious, obviously, those... Um, uh, the Long Halloween, Dark Victory, and some other Batman stories, so that kind of makes sense that they would kind of try to capitalize on that. Um, and Wolverine Gambit are still big characters and big draws, and uh, that's a, a 95 miniseries. Then you have another Hercules book, uh, Hercules Full Circle. Uh, then you have X-Men versus Fantastic Four, X-Men versus Avengers. Um, again, just kind of pumping those out in January 2010, as well as Thing Project Pegasus. Again, that's, you know... 
people really appreciate and enjoy the old Marvel 2-in-1. I never picked it up, and I've always regretted it, because I think I really would enjoy reading those stories. I have very vague memories of it at some point reading someone's copies. Um, but I think I really would be able to go back. Um, another big Avengers one, which, again, rem- is curious to me that this didn't get published earlier, because I think, to a lot of people, this is has more name recognition to it uh, than the event, the Defenders War, which is none other than the Korvac saga. I mean, that for years was kind of the Avengers cosmic thing uh, until they did other, well, one of them, because obviously there was Kree Skull War, which did that never get a premier classic? Like, that seems strange. Like, that seems like almost more seminal than others. But I guess Kree Skull War had always been in trade paperbacks, whereas I, I think the Korvac saga maybe hadn't at that point. Yeah, Fantastic Four in search of Galactus. So FF not exactly getting the best of their material. Um, that's FF 204 to 214. You have another Black Widow book coming out in March 2010, again, right before uh, Iron Man 2 came out, um, with more an issue of Bizarre Adventures. There's Marvel Fanfare 10 to 13. Then you have an Iron Man storyline, which, again, makes sense, because, it, again, two, it's a couple months before the movie, and it's uh, Iron Man Ironmonger. Um which in a lot of ways would have made more sense to come out in 2008, but um, it at least made sense for them to push out this material. You have Jim Rhodes in it as Iron Man. You have Tony becoming Iron Man again and going up against Stain. So that was definitely a, a good kind of movie tie-in release. Um, in some ways, uh, when they had originally uh, published um, uh, the, uh, Demon in a Bottle, that almost would have made more sense to instead have uh, Ironmonger and then Demon the Bottle later but Demon the Bottle obviously was the more bankable Iron Man story that's the one people are going to buy first um, Ironmonger has an important element to it but it doesn't have the name recognition that people are immediately going to go oh yeah that's the one where Tony gets drunk and even Doom Quest um, they, you know, whenever they did these appearances where you had to have Doom and Iron Man teaming up and what Iron Man 150 and Iron Man 250 that was always much more of a bigger deal and people remembered those and those really stuck out to people uh, the 42nd volume, you had Iron Man Deadly Solutions, uh, which nowadays I feel like to me is kind of made moot by the fact that you have an Iron Man um, omnibus by Kurt Busiek and Sean Chen, which includes all seven issues of Iron Man Volume 3, which are reprinted in this trade paper, uh, sorry, not trade paperback, in this hardcover collection. Uh, then you have one which, again, I'm surprised that they took them this long into the program. You had Captain Marvel, The Death of Captain Marvel which included Captain Marvel 34, Marvel Spotlight 1 to 2, and Marvel Graphic Novel number 1. So all that material in one spot. And you had Avengers, West Coast Avengers Assemble, which I did buy. I think at some point I stopped buying the hardcover um, collections for West Coast Avengers that they were doing. And um, I always went to get the omnibuses and just never did. But for a while I was trying to buy a bunch of this West Coast material. So that had kind of um, you know, the original appearances of how... The, that team came together, had the original miniseries and a bunch of other issues of Avengers that kind of were happening at the same time back in 84. Then you had Avengers The Contest, which included a contest of champions number one to three. I'm actually surprised they didn't just do that as kind of a contest of champions hardcover, almost like the Marvel's book, but I guess branding it as Avengers made more sense marketably. I'm not sure why. And then you had Marvel Universe The Infinity Gauntlet. So... Finally, we get the hardcover collection of Infinity Gauntlet, which, again, now that you have, I think, the Infinity Gauntlet Omnibus, all these other formats, maybe this one is less important, but and I actually never ended up picking it up for my shelf uh, for some reason. Uh, then you had Silver Surfer, The Rebirth of Thanos, which I think had already been done as trade paperback at some point, um, which also has Thanos Quest 1 to 2, which is interesting to have it here. 
Um, then you have X-Men Mutant Genesis 107. If anyone has this and wants to sell it to me for a reasonable price, I will buy it. Uh, mainly, I had to trade paperback of Mutant Genesis. I'm like, I don't need this. But then a couple of years later, they published X-Men Mutant Genesis 2.0, which I absolutely love, which is a recolored version um, of the original what X-Men 1-7 to uh, by Claremont and Lee and then Lee and Friends. And it looks exquisite. It's so different. It's so fascinating to see what modern coloring looks like over Lee's pencils. Um, and now I regret not having both in hardcover. Um, it's, it's bugged me. Even though the Premier Classic hardcover would not have been oversized like the 2.0, but it still bugs me that it's not... I don't have hardcover of both, which is totally dumb. I don't know why it bothers me. It's, again, one of those things about people who buy collected editions. Uh, then Thor jumps right back in with The War Here's 3. Again, not a proper Thor book. Then you have Moon Knight, Countdown to Dark. Um, and, again, this is before. This is back when you just had you know, the essential collections. You didn't have the epic collections now, which I think, for the most part, the Moon Knight ones have definitely made these old hardcovers less important. Not obsolete, because they're still a nice hardcover format, but um, the content has been reprinted elsewhere now. Finally, 51 volumes in, we get Avengers Under Siege. And uh, this one was like a no-brainer. Like It had been put in an older trade, hadn't been reprinted in a while, finally it came out in hardcover. You better believe I jumped on that. Could not wait to have Under Siege. Um, just It's just such a great storyline, and being able to have it in, a again, a beautiful hardcover was... You know, I think I probably even pre-ordered this. I think at this point I was kind of being selective, but um, getting the ones I wanted. But definitely having an idea of what was coming out as it was coming out. It wasn't a. I was just at a shop and happened to see. I think at this point I started to know what was coming out in the Premier Classic uh, hardcovers. Uh, you had Marvel Universe: The End uh, by Jim Starlin. I kind of took a pass on that. Uh, the Resur- Resurrection of Galactus. I'm surprised that got put into a hardcover. That was Fantastic Four, Volume 4, 46-50, at annual 2001. I think that's some of the the latest printed material, besides, I guess, uh, Wolverine's Origin. I'm just trying to think that got uh, put into these hardcovers. Then you had Thor, If Asgard Should... Per- uh, sorry. Yeah, Thor, If Asgard Should Perish, 242-253. to 253. Finally, a proper Thor story. Surprised that didn't happen earlier. And then we had some of the stuff where I think is a little bit or more arguable that it should have been in this collection, or this format, which was uh, X-Force Cable and the New Mutants. New Mutants, 86-94. to 94. Interesting, it's branded Cable. Uh, sorry, X-Force, but I get it because of Cable being there and the fact that it really was New Mutants, uh, not really the traditional New Mutants anymore. Then you had Avengers, The Coming of the Beast, which had already been more or less done as a trade. I think it was the Serpent Crown trade previously, which had most of these issues. You had Captain America, War and Remembrance, which I think I'm still kicking myself for not buying, but I owned the trade, and again, I did, at the time, still wasn't ready to start whole hog, just, you know, re- replacing all my stuff with hardcovers. Um, you had Thor the World Engine, with Thor 491 to 494 by uh, Warren Ellis. Interesting, again, that it gets put into this hardcover format so much earlier than a lot of stuff, but again, I think Part of the reason is that um, because these weren't the longest volumes, they didn't want to put Simonson's run because it would have taken forever to do them, and they weren't necessarily going to commit that many volumes, and that was kind of missing the point of having these kind of done-in-one volumes that were really nice kind of bite-sized chunks of classic material. You had X-Force, a force to be reckoned with. So 2011, they're really doubling down on uh, throwing in X-Force, so finishing off the New Mutants uh, Stuff. Although it's interesting that New Mutants, what ninety five to ninety seven, did got orphaned by this particular uh, collection or this series of collections um, because it was part of a crossover. 
uh, but this included New Mutants 98 to 100, as well as X-Force 1 to 4 and Spider-Man 16. Then you get back to Thor for Thor Quest for Odin, so finally getting some classic Thor storylines. And then back to X-Force, Jesus. That's a lot of X-Force all at once. I'm not sure, I'm curious what the publishing decision was. It covered X-Force 5 to 15 and X-Force Annual number 1. So again, that was very quick within the series of a few months, having three volumes, collecting all of that live film material. Then you had uh, uh, Captain America Operation Rebirth, collecting Mark Wade and Adam Kubert's initial Captain America run, which, again, I never bought because I think at that point I already had it in trade paperback and didn't feel the need to get a, another hardcover. And you had Thor The Warriors 3 Unleashed, which is his smorgasbord, if I've ever heard of one. Thor 400, 410, 415 to 416, Annual number 2, Annual 17, uh, Marvel Comics Presents, Marvel Superheroes, and Journey into Mystery Issues. So just a, a huge grab bag of weird stuff. Um, I'm trying to think, 2011, I guess the Thor movie came out. I guess it was 2011 that it came out. Um, so that would have been the reason for that that kind of having the Thor quest for Odin coming out in February 2011 and the World Engine coming out in January 2011 and even Asgard Should Perish coming out in December 2010. So, you know, they were pumping out a lot of Thor material because we were about to get the, uh, the Thor movie. You had, um, and again, Warriors Through Unleashed published in April 2011. Uh, then we got uh, Avengers West Coast, Family Ties, and I think this is where I decided not to get the West Coast Avengers books because uh, the initial one was the miniseries, but now they were starting the actual ongoing, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to commit to that or how far they're going to go. Uh, so I kind of decided to bow out and not buy those anymore. There was Captain America to serve and protect, and at that point, I love issues for one to seven of Captain America, but I was kind of always holding out hope that there'd be an omnibus. I think they eventually did of uh, that run. I think, yeah, I think there is an omnibus of um, the Wade. Oh, no, you know, I was thinking Wade and Hubert earlier. It was Wade and Garney. I'm horribly remiss. Um, but I never bought that because I also thought, well, I don't need the first seven issues of The Hero's Return. That I could, you know, eventually there'll be an omnibus of some sort. And there was an X-Men Alpha Flight. I do regret not getting this. It had the two X-Men Alpha Flight uh, miniseries, as well as the first initial appearances of um, Vindicator, as well as or Guardian, I should say, I guess, as well as uh, Alpha Light themselves in Uncanny X-Men. Then they did publish Captain America, American Nightmare, which, again, is interesting that this is what the Captain America material they're deciding to publish is, and I guess this is all coming out more or less, and this is where Wikipedia stops listing the publication dates for these volumes, but pretty sure it came out all around the time of the Captain America movie. Uh, then Doctor Strange gets his first one, which is Into the Dark Dimension, uh, from 84 to 85. You have another Thing one. Anyways, as you can see, there's just a lot of volumes, so I probably didn't need to list the last 70 volumes, so I apologize. Um, I did buy the 70th volume, which was The Death of John DeWolf. Love this. What I really liked about this, and I thought interesting, um, was that it collected not just the original storyline, but also the follow-up. And that one has a harrowing ending. It's very, it's it's really something. Um, most of the storyline is an electro story, which is kind of you can take it or leave it. But the the ending with the senator is where the money's at. That's that's why you're picking up the story to see what happened to the senator after the original storyline, how it impacted him, and how he ends the storyline. And it's kind of heartbreaking, but but and sad. 
Um, and there was X-Men Life Death, which, see, that makes sense to me. There's Those issues are very disparate in terms of how they were originally published, but they put them all together in a nice tra- a hardcover format. That I appreciate, and I think that made sense. Uh, given what was going on with the Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, when DNA were writing them, becoming a big deal, there was a Rocket Raccoon Guardian of the Keystone Quadrant um, hardcover, which I think is cool. X-Men Fallen Angels, that's a weird book, but people love it, and that got a hardcover. Uh, Avengers continued the stern run from the Under Siege book with Assault on Olympus. Um, FF continued kind of trying to f- fill in that kind of 192 to 215 run on FF with uh, the Overthrow of Doom, collecting 192 to 200. Um, because, again, this is around the period when the Captain America movie was coming out. You had another of the uh, Wade uh, Captain America books with Red Glare come out. Uh, there was Fantastic Four One Two Three Four, which is the Marvel Knights book from two thousand one to two thousand two. You had another Black Widow hardcover. This is the one I think I like the most. Besides the retro material, this one had the two mini series uh, that came out in both ninety nine and two thousand one. And then because they can't leave well enough alone, there was another X Force book, Assault and Green Malkin, uh, which brought you up to issue twenty five of X Force, and then another West Coast Avengers book. Then there was a Shield book, which covered uh, Nick Fury versus Shield from eighty eight. Then, now this one I was very excited about, and I, let's see, I think this is the fourth last um, volume of the uh, of this run of, of books that I bought, which was Avengers X-Men Blood Ties. I was surprised they put it out into a hardcover, but jumped at the chance to own it, uh, all collected together like this. And also having the Black Knight Exodus um, one-shot in there was kind of an interesting touch. It was published three years later, but it definitely, it, it really didn't need to be there, but it was kind of a nice little throw-in, and that's what it felt like because it had nothing to do with the actual story. Then you had Spider-Man Masks. I did not buy that. Um, that was the kind of after Torment by McFarland, and it's not regarded very well. It had issues, what, 6 to 7, 13 to 14, 16, and X-Force 4. Uh, then I did buy this. Avengers um, was under the heading Avengers, but it was Hawkeye, Earth's Mightiest Marksman, which had the second uh, miniseries for Hawkeye, as well as um, additional material from Marvel Comics Presents 159 to 161. Uh, that's both from 94 and 98. That's some rough stuff at times, but I, I liked it, but it was definitely during the kind of a weird extreme period um, for Hawkeye and not his best material uh, as a character anyway. Um, i trying to think. Some of that stuff was written by Dixon and DeFalco, so I like those writers. Not the best material for Hawkeye. Uh, then you had Electra Assassin, which... I think at that point it had already been done in hardcovers and various different versions throughout the years, but it was finally put into a nice hardcover. They had another West Coast Avengers uh, book, which was Lost in Space Time, collecting issues 17 to 24, as well as um, other issues of FF from 1963 and also Doctor Strange from 82. Then you had Avengers the Serpent Crown. Again, I'm surprised that took so long, because that's, again, a fairly well-known concept, if not maybe specifically the stories themselves for Avengers. But uh, the 88th volume was returned to X-Force as uh, it got up to issue 31 of that volume, which is kind of crazy to me that it got that far. Then you had another Avengers book, but that came out in May 2012. Uh, Oh, I guess the the dates came back at some point. Um, So having the Serpent Crown for April 2012, that's a month before the Avengers movie came out, made sense. Having another Avengers uh, one collecting uh, Avengers 150 to 156, which is the Private War of Doctor Doom, May 2012, that made sense. Um, 
then you had Hulk Return of the Monster. So I guess because he was in the Avengers movie, they said, well, let's put out the Hulk one, of which they had had very few. So they had Return of the Monster, which was the start of Bruce Jones' run. Uh, it's kind of, again, an interesting choice. Um, and it also has startling stories banded to one to four. So again, I'm just intrigued by that decision. You had uh, Silver Surfer Parable. That made sense to me that they would finally put that in a collection. Um, again, late in the run of these books, but interesting. You had Thing, the Serpent Crown Affair. Again, I'm surprised that took so long. You had a Cloak and Dagger, Cl- Crime and Punishment, with all their appearances in uh, Spectacular Spider-Man. And I don't own it, but it's a nice collation of material um, showing the development of those characters. And then you realize just how many of those Spectacular Spider-Man issues they actually showed up in. Um, then there was uh, Deathlock, The Living Nightmare of Michael Collins, collecting the 1990s miniseries. Spider-Man Perceptions. Oh, maybe I was wrong about Masks. Perceptions, I guess, is more direct follow-up. I can't remember now. Um, for, from Spider-Man. And then you had another West Coast Avengers. And then you had a Spider-Man book, Return of the Burglar. So I still don't know why this got the hardcover format. I bought it. I like Spider-Man. I've always been a big fan of Spider-Man. So I bought it and collected issues 193 to 200. And I don't think I'd ever read those issues before. I knew of issue 200. I knew of the kind of weird stuff that happens with the burglar. But um, it was intriguing that it took that long. Uh, or not that it took that long, but that they actually did it at all. Like, I'm curious. I, I, I was recently on the Epic Marvel podcast, which if you haven't downloaded it, you really should. It's a great show. Curtis Finley puts together a great product. And I was on it with him to talk about Daredevil. And at some point, I said that Daredevil's character, who's had um, great runs, and uh, maybe not a lot of great stories, like, kind of easy to be like, oh, that's the story you need to read. It's had Born Again. And then I had the Frank Miller saga, the original one, but that's kind of that's a, a large collection of issues. You'd probably look at Daredevil 181, uh, Death of Electra, or you'd look at the the Roulette issue. Um, but again, out of, without context, they're not as strong. Um, but like, you know what I mean? Like, you have these few stories, but there isn't as many as a character usually like Spider-Man. Um, where Spider, I, I find Spider-Man has less um, good runs and more actual stories, but. The fact that they didn't really choose many of them for the premier classic hardcovers was interesting, uh, to say the least. Um, that had X-Men, Beauty and the Beast, and this is, again, one of those areas where I felt like they started uh, kind of reaching for material, but material that probably would not have been reprinted otherwise, and that's one thing to think about, is that some of the stuff would have been published otherwise if they hadn't taken this opportunity to do it. Like, that Hawkeye book that I just mentioned, The Earth's Mightiest Marksman, probably would not have been necessarily collected otherwise. Um, even the Guardians of the Galaxy ones are kind of intriguing that they put them together. They eventually got kind of replaced by giant trade paperbacks in the case of the Guardians, so kind of, I mean, unless you love the hardcover format, there was really no need for them anymore. Um, you have, uh, so as I said, X-Men Beauty and the Beast, which is, again, some odd and strange material. Then you have Iron Man Revenge of the Mandarin, continuing the storyline um, that uh, Busek and Chen had from Deadly Solutions, which was published you know, a while earlier, um, and again, has now been supplanted by Omnibus, which collects those issues anyway. Then you have another X-Force volume, which was Child's Play, because they just can't stop getting up to issue 37. Think about how many books that you've loved that have not had that many releases in a nice hardcover format. And then consider that X-Force got all the way from when Liefeld took over to actually issue 43, I, I, perhaps even longer. No, I think that was it. It's just crazy to me. Then you have uh, X-Men Iceman. So Iceman's uh, 
little miniseries from back in the day. Then you have another of the Bruce Jones uh, run on Hulk. So again, they never got that far. They got pretty close to ending that storyline. And I, that's one of those things where I feel like they needed to just do another volume just to end the storyline by Bruce Jones. Because you had Boiling Point having issue 40 to 49. And then a few months later, you had Abominable collecting 50 to 59, which was the 106th volume of this Marvel Premier Classic hardcover run. But then you never got to end the Bruce Jones run. That just seems like a kick in the pants. And I remember looking at those issues and being like, if they don't finish the storyline, I'm not going to have wanted to own this hardcover because as much as it might be nice, it doesn't end the story. Especially a run like Bruce Jones, which was very deliberately plotted and paced, that if you're missing the ending, you're missing everything. It's not like a run and you still had endings to some of the storylines. Like He was very clearly building up to something. Um, And you had Spider-Man Revenge of the Sinister Six, which is... Uh, not actually. I actually thought I bought this. I did not. Um, which, considering my my love of Eric Larson's first Sinister Six storyline, I'm surprised I didn't buy it. Uh, then they had Avengers: Bride of Ultron, which again is a classic story. I'm surprised it wasn't previously reprinted. And then Spider Man. Speaking of classic stories, nothing can stop the Juggernaut. It's the 105th volume of 107 volumes of the Marvel Premier Classics, and yet the seminal Dragonaut vs. Spider-Man story, which was always lauded in throughout the years as being like kind of this high watermark for Stern on Spider-Man and some great, you know, writing of the character and showing Peter Parker's tenacity against, um, you know, something like the Juggernaut, something he should not be able to win. Uh, I cannot believe it took that long, but I definitely did buy it, and it was the last Marvel Premier Classic hardcover that I bought. And then you finished up the run with 106... Hulk Abominable, they already mentioned, and then finally, because it had already been ended, and then they brought it back months later with the 107th volume, X-Force Phalanx Covenant, covering X-Force 38 to 43, X-Factor 106, and X-Caliber 82. Now, that has issues that were not in the Phalanx Covenant hardcover, which is part of what I think probably pissed off some people, though, because they were like, well... I thought I had the Phalanx Covenant, and I didn't really need to buy any more X-Force, but I actually need this volume, and now I've doubled up on a lot of material just so I can get a couple extra issues. I believe I could be wrong. And that was the last volume to ever be printed in this in this format. Now, now that we have the Epic Collections, we don't need anything like this anymore. I mean, they're not as, you know, might be pretty, and they're not in nice hardcover formats, but we're getting thicker volumes and collecting more material all at once. So I think... Uh, most people would be very happy with the trade-off, and especially with the way that they've enhanced the Epic Collection line, and they were getting more and more of them. But um, you know, it did take away from the Marvel Premier Classic hardcovers. Um, but you know, they're still beautiful collections if you can find them at a, a good price. Um, they do, for the most part, collect seminal stories for the characters. Um, they're not all maybe fully worthy of the name or of the being in this kind of prestige collection. And I think when it started, it felt like a prestigious collection. And uh, especially if you look at those earlier releases, Craven's Last Hunt, uh, even Wolverine's Origin, the original Wolverine miniseries, Death of the Stacys, like those are classic storylines. It was only later that I feel like maybe some people got burnt out by the program because it felt like it wasn't as prestigious anymore. It was kind of everyone was getting one and you had a ton of X-Force volumes. And what did that mean? Um, for the more classic stuff that maybe wasn't getting reprinted. Think about all the X-Men storylines, which never really got anywhere. They never got the Premier Classics. You had, you know, the the Magic miniseries. You got the Storm and, uh, uh, sorry, the the Kitty Pride storyline miniseries. You had 
the Magic miniseries. You had all these kind of offshoots, these weird ones. Even the long shot's great. Uh, he got a you know collection more so than actual X Men storylines. And I think what the only, one of the only ones that ever actually did get collected was uh, the Proteus one, which is great. And then you had Phoenix Rising isn't even X Men proper. It's more of an X Factor story. So it's just intriguing how they ended up developing the line and how it eventually ended up ending and what we've gotten instead as a result uh, to kind of replace it. And I, I don't think anyone is sad about the Epic Collections. Epic Collections are awesome. It's interesting to see what uh, multiple lines and formats kind of existed before we got this more comprehensive sweeping program um, that kind of replaces it and makes it kind of null and void and for the most part. Not null and void, but just makes it not need to exist in the same way. Anyways, thank you for listening to this episode. You can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Upcoming episodes will include interviews with Steve Engelhart, Jamal Eichel, hopefully Judd Winnick, as well as Tom Orzakowski. So uh, look forward to those in the next uh, couple months. Um, And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.